Welcome to the Bridge Podcast, where faith takes the center stage and we journey together towards spiritual growth. Join us as we explore the bridge between God's Word and everyday life. It's time to tune in, connect, and embark on a meaningful and inspirational journey with us. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or check out our webpage at thebridgeumc.org. Today's scripture reading is from Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the job set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks. I invite you to bow your heads with me. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable in your sight. You are truly our blessed rock and our redeemer. Amen. According to Roman Catholic teaching, sainthood is bestowed by the Pope. And in order for someone to be declared a Pope, there's a careful examination of their life. For example, there's a, a reading of anything that they have published to make sure that it adheres to church tradition. The things that the would-be saints said are examined as well, as well as his or her life. This could take up to decades, sometimes centuries, before someone is considered to be saint-worthy. Then there is this idea of, of miracles. Typically, two miracles must be associated with the saint. That is, something had to have happened that is dramatic in the name of that saint. And, of course, in Catholic teaching and tradition, a saint is with Jesus. And if a saint is with Jesus and you pray to that saint, the saint ought to be able to affect an answer to your prayer Hence, the last requirement in Catholic teaching, in order to be a saint, you must also have perished or died, right? There's a saint uh, announcement every once in a while, and in the last group of saints was this man, Titus Bransma. Titus Bransma was born in the Netherlands uh, at the end of the, the 1800s. He uh, grew up in a farming family. At the age of 11, he entered into holy orders to study for the priesthood. He became a parish priest in his beloved Netherlands. And then in the late 1930s, as Nazism spread across Europe and eventually across Netherlands, Titus Bransma had to make a decision. As a local parish priest, all he had to do was keep his mouth shut and take care of the needs of his parishioners. He likely would have been safe from persecution. But Titus Bransma couldn't do that. He believed that God was calling him to speak out against the evil of Nazism 
And so he wrote a letter. He sent the letter out to the various parishes, asking the priest there to take a stand with him. The letter was confiscated by the Gestapo. Bransma was arrested. He was tried, sent out to Dachau prison camp, and was murdered there. When the Pope announced that Bransma was the latest saint to be canonized by the church, he, excited, he, he, he uh, announced this with, with excitement because here was the example of someone who did the right thing in the face of danger, who spoke out for Christ. It's saints like this that are meant to inspire us, right? To encourage us, to uplift us. And when we think of the saints, we think of people like St. Valentine's and St. Nicholas and Titus Bransma and Mother Teresa and on and on and on. And so there is a certain bar in order to be a saint. You have to have done great things in your life. You have to have excelled at the faith to be a Christian without doubts. And while it is certainly true that those folks are saints, I would suggest to you this morning that we look at the biblical definition of a saint, the definition that comes to us primarily through the writings of Paul and also the teachings of Hebrews. This wonderful idea that a saint is, in fact, someone who lived their life as a Christian, who died in the faith, and who is now in heaven with God. That is a saint. It may be difficult for us to think of some of the people that we have known that have passed on as saints, because after all, we knew them, right? We, 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 we heard them, we, we saw them, we witnessed them, we, we understand that they were human beings, as we're all human beings, that we're flawed as human beings. And sometimes then it causes us to think, well, perhaps they're not a saint. Maybe they're in heaven, but they've not quite reached the level of saints. I I am something of an amateur baseball historian, and I, I have friends online, and one of the things we like to do is debate the merits of whether or not somebody should be in the Hall of Fame, like Pete Rose or Joe Jackson, or, or the most recent argument that I had with someone about Lou Whitaker, who was an old second baseman for the Detroit Tigers. We, we like to throw statistics at each other, right? What was somebody's career batting average? How many home runs did they hit? How many bases did they steal? How many games did they win? And then there's this wonderful statistic called war, W-A-R. Those of you who are baseball fans are familiar with war. War tries to calculate across the spectrum all that somebody did on a baseball field. They're pitching, they're fielding, they're hitting, they're running, their leadership, right? And the idea is it's this sort of complete calculation of someone, and you ought to be able to look at somebody's war and determine should they be in the Hall of Fame. For example, Roberto Alomar's in the Hall of Fame, he has a war of 67. Lou Whitaker is not. He has a war of 71. Therefore, he ought to be in the Hall of Fame. Maybe we could do this with Christians, right? We could have a Christian war, right? Every time you go to church, you get a point, right? Every time you put a dollar in the offering plate, you get a point. Every time you serve on the trustees, you get 500 points because that's the worst committee to serve on in the name of the church. Some of you are trustees. You know this, right? Every time you hit your thumb with a hammer and say a bad word, you lose a point, right? Every time you sleep in, you lose five points. Every time you fail to forgive, you lose 100 points, right? Maybe if we could calculate some sort of Christian war, that would help us to know who the saints are. But in fact, when Paul talks about sainthood, he doesn't mention these things. In fact, Paul says a saint is someone who put their trust in Jesus Christ, who strove to be as good a person as they could possibly be, and who is now in heaven with Christ. In fact, this is a bit audacious. 
Paul often referred to the living as saints as well, inspiring us to live into that sainthood. So the people that we know who have passed from this life, who had faith, we would call them saints. And their memory is precious to us. So I was looking at the, 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 the pictures with you all. I was thinking about many of these, these saints that I have known so well over, over my life. Uh, 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 Cliff Smith, who I knew to be a dedicated bell choir director and, and scout leader. Don Brubaker, I can still hear him saying De Caloris as he greeted me with a handshake on Sunday morning. Steve Blankenship, who was that greatest of saints in the life of a pastor, he would help me fix my lawn tractor when it wasn't running for free because he said, after all, I was his pastor. Jerry Johnson, who always had that great big smile and greeting whenever I saw him. Ron and Marilyn Hunt, who were our backdoor neighbors, they lived just on the other side of our backyard and would help us watch our boys when they were out bouncing on the trampoline. They always had to tell your dad he couldn't bounce on the trampoline with them. He was probably in his 70s at the time. These are the saints that I remember as well, and I remember them as you do as human beings. I know they had flaws. I know they weren't perfect. I know they struggled with doubt. But a saint is simply someone who commits their life to Christ and who is now with Christ in heaven. And we can celebrate with certainty that these are our saints and their memory is precious to us. But as I was thinking about this sermon and, and, and reading through Hebrews, I was compelled by something the author of Hebrews had to say. That, that it's not just the memory of these saints that's precious to us, it's also their voice. Hebrews 12 reads, now remember Hebrews 12 follows uh, a chapter in Hebrews where the author of, of Hebrews uh, has, has written to his congregation. And by the way, there's this wonderful tradition that Hebrews may in fact be a letter written by Priscilla, in which case it is her letter to her congregation. We can't know for sure. It's an anonymous letter. But anyway, the author of Hebrews writes this wonderful letter to the congregation to inspire them, to encourage them, to keep them at being a Christian congregation and uses a litany of saints that would be familiar to them as I hope it is to you. Abraham and Sarah, Moses and Rahab, David and Saul and Samuel and so on and so forth. And then after having named all of these people who are with God in heaven, the author turns and says this, since we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, since we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. That's an interesting description of the saints, isn't it? As we think about the saints that we just celebrated this morning, we are surrounded by them. When I was a little boy and, and we would talk about heaven, I always thought of heaven as being somewhere way up there, right? If you could get in a spaceship and travel to Neptune and you hung a left at Neptune, you might find the doors of heaven, right? It's way up there. But when Jesus was asked where heaven was, and this is an interesting word search if you want to spend the time doing this. When Jesus was asked where heaven was, where's the kingdom of heaven, where is the presence of God, he would say, it is here, it is near, it is around us. Mark 1.15, someone said to him, where is the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it is here. It is near. 
What if we're in the midst of heaven? Now, we can't see heaven, obviously. We can't enter into heaven, obviously. But, but what if rather than way off beyond the stars, heaven is in fact in our midst? Isn't that what the author of Hebrews is saying? We are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses? I think that's a remarkable vision and image as I think about the saints. Perhaps they're closer than we imagine them to be. Perhaps their presence is here even as we worship them. And truth be told, haven't we felt the presence of our saints in our lives before? Not as though they're light years away from us, but close at hand. And if they are, in fact, close at hand and near to us, then are they doing what the author of Hebrews says, cheering us on? encouraging us, speaking to us. One of my favorite movies is The Dead Poets Society. It's from the late 80s. Robin Williams plays Professor Keating. Uh, if you've seen the movie, you know there's this wonderful scene where he takes this group of boys that, that are uninspired at this point down a hallway that has a, a row of pictures of previous classes of boys who had attended the same academy. And, and one of the pictures is of a group of boys from perhaps 100 years before who are certainly all dead at this point. And Williams pushes his group of boys up against the glass and says to them, right, listen, listen for what these boys have to say to you. And then as his group of boys are pressed up against the glass, Williams standing behind them whispers, carpe diem, right? Carpe diem, Latin for seize the day. And at first, it's as if his boys think it's the voice of the boys in the picture speaking back to them. What do our saints have to say to us as we stand in their midst, as we are surrounded by their cloud? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us, stay the course, fight the good fight, finish the race, steer clear from sin, continue to be the church, strive to do the right thing, strive to live a life in faith, hold fast to what is good and right and true. All of these are the things they are saying to us, encouraging us, Speaking to us, they are like our own cheerleaders, right? Everybody grew up with cheerleaders, right? You'd go to a basketball game or a volleyball game. The role of the cheerleaders, the job of the cheerleaders is to fire up the crowd because if the crowd is fired up right, then the boys or girls on the court are fired up. They work off the energy of the crowd. Our saints are our cheerleaders encouraging us as the bridge to be a church in this community. Encouraging us as Christians to be loving and kind and careful and true. They're cheering us on. I was thinking about the, the cheers I remember from childhood, right? Two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate, right? Fire up, fire up. Raw, raw, re. Kick him in the knee. Raw, raw, rasp. Kick him in the other knee, right? We, we remember these cheers, right? They come back to us. You thought I was going to get myself in trouble, didn't you? We, 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 we remember these cheers. We, we know how they built us up. It is the refrain that sort of lifted us up as a crowd, as an audience, as a hometown team to inspire those performing for us. Only in this case, we're the ones performing. We're the ones loving and serving, and forgiving, and welcoming. 
and caring. And the audience is Christ himself. And the cheerleaders, our cheerleaders in heaven are calling to us, encouraging us, building us up. Listen. If you're quiet, if you're still, can you hear their voice? Fight the good fight. Stay the course. Finish the race. Stay clear from the power of sin. Love, encourage, accept, and grace. Their voices call to us to be the church. Thank you, saints. Thank you for your lives, your witness, and most of all, for your encouragement as you surround us as a community of faith. Amen. So we move into uh, a time of communion. I want to begin by uh, leading us in a time of prayer. Uh, we, we have an open table in uh, our church. All are invited to come forward and receive the elements of communion. There will be uh, a gluten-free station in the center, and then uh, people with bread and wine to the sides, you're welcome uh, to come forward. Uh, at the direction of the ushers, at the end of the time together, I'll also be bringing the elements out into the congregation. If uh, it's difficult for you to come forward for any reason, please catch my attention. Let us prepare our hearts to receive this meal. Would you pray with me? God of us all, your love never ends. As we think about your table and your invitation, we begin by wondering if we're worthy. But if worth is how you measure the invitation, who can come forward? All of us struggle under the weight of sin and shame, of missed opportunities, of brokenness. None of us are truly worthy, and that's why the table is open. You have established that relationship for us with God. Nonetheless, hear us as we confess to you our daily struggles to be human. And thank you as you grace us with forgiveness. Amen.